0: give me a name first please. Okay this is Tim Dunbabin aka Tiggles. Well I'll have to start by blaming my older brother Um, and I listened to the music of the the 70s and that ranged from you know Led Zeppelin to Pink Floyd and Genesis and things like that and um, American bands like the Eagles and the like. Um, and one day my brother, who had just moved to live in West Bletchley, I do believe, said, listen to this. And he played me an album by the Ramones, the first Ramones album. And I think everything probably started to change Right then. <laughs> that made a huge difference and then I started listening to uh, the punk singles that were coming out at the time. Um, sing- the, we had The Clash and singles out. There were quite only a few singles uh, really in 76, early 77. Um, But that was the format really and the um the ramones had an album um patty smith had an album suddenly there was a whole different brand of music that was had a totally different outlook to what i'd been listening to before and those old records got sold quite quickly (laughs) Uh, and probably exchanged for cider, I think. (laughs) Uh, It was certainly time to get rid of your flares. Um, I didn't, I suppose, yeah, I was looking for, you know, uh, to look different because of it, I think. What had a major influence on me um, was that I'd always wanted to go to the USA. And uh, as it happened <laughs> here's a story the Ramones were going to play uh, Aylesbury and I'd been I'd worked at Vauxhall Motors I'd bought myself a, a new motorbike brand new motorbike, first time Harley Davidson and uh, the Ramones said they were going to play at Friars I went up to Wolverton to get my Tickets from there was a little shop in the square in, in Wolverton, and I got my Ramones tickets. And as I came back down New Bradwell, uh, I crashed my motorbike. Uh, that got written off, and eventually gave me the money. Uh, when the money arrived through for, from that, I booked my tickets to the States, and I went off to New York. Nobody that I knew had ever been to America and everybody said, What, you're going to New York? You'll be dead on the streets within a day. we're talking early 1978. So punk was quite well established. It was being featured in the newspapers. Um it was really you know, they you know, they had lots of pictures of people and things like that. So it was getting quite accepted. In the UK. I went to the. To New York. But in New York. There was nothing of the sort. Because most Americans. Didn't know anything about punk. And it was a very. Tight and closed. Little scene in New York. Um, and. I used to work at CBGB's. And or see all these bands. <laughs> uh, so it was great. And that probably had a a big influence on me and I came back after a year and I had I would had two things that I wanted to do and it was gonna be either one or the other. It was either form a band or start a rock and roll club. And that was that was where I was coming when I arrived back in Milton Keynes after my time in the States, they were. Too, the, I was going to do one of the two things. I suppose I sort of looked at both, but there really weren't. I didn't have any experience of running a club. I didn't see any easy places where I could. Uh, so I put. So I got my band together instead. Places did appear to play at. So, uh, yeah, we. we We got a band together. Once I got back, I was living in Stantonbury at the time, uh, and so I went back to my old school um, just to see some people, got talking to a few people that I knew already, um, one of whom was Patrick Milne, who used to live... Well, I used to live in Lakes Lane, and he lived opposite, so I, I knew him a bit. And there was uh, Dave Bancroft and Jamie Archibald, also in the sixth form. We often used to end up round my mum and dad's house drinking coffee. And we were talking about music. My mum had an acoustic guitar. Patrick said, I can play guitar. And I handed him the guitar. And we started there and then. (laughs) The band was called Fictitious. The idea behind it was that nobody would know what sort of music it was from the name. If we'd have called ourselves um, Screaming Death Metal Music, then people would know what to expect. And the idea was to give them something that they didn't know what to expect or didn't give any clues. Perhaps, in hindsight, maybe we should have gone exactly the other way and maybe we ought to have given a huge clue and called ourselves something completely different. But it was fictitious, it was my idea and it stayed. We needed somewhere to practice and so Patrick's mum was helping with the Newport Pagnall Youth Club so we managed to get a practice there a couple of times the kids who were there were interested, so we played at the youth club. We played a couple of places that our, our manager, our friend Terry, he knew an agricultural college and we did our first gig there, which was um, pretty terrible. <laughs> and uh, I got I drank about half a bottle of whiskey before going on stage because I was a bit scared and I didn't know what to expect. Insulted the audience um, and ended up drunk, bitten and thrown to a rose bush. <laughs> Sounds pretty punch to <laughs> We could have stopped there, but we didn't. We continued. Um, yeah, so um, playing at the youth clubs, um, we also practised... At Stantonbury Youth Club played there quite quickly we played I think it was our fifth gig so that would be about September October 79 and we played at Newport Pagnall Youth Club with a local band from Northampton called Bauer House, which was quite something to see they were amazing it's quite amazing to think that some of our, our, our brilliant musicians start off playing in youth clubs, and we were because we were practicing in the youth club. The kids would come and, and listen and watch and appreciate, um, and so they were. They became our. They were our potential audience, whether we charged them for it or not. And that really wasn't the point of it. I remember we put our. The first gig that we promoted, that we did ourselves, um, we played at the back of the Crawford and we did put up the posters ourselves. We used to go out at midnight and poster (laughs) bus stops in Milton Keynes. Bus stops in Milton Keynes were very important because none of our... People of our age really had cars or anything like that, so buses was the means of transport. So to put a poster at a bus stop was a very good idea. Anyway, we put our gig on at the Crawford and it cost 50p to come and see us and two other bands. I'm trying to think who it I think it was Ethnic Minority and Fiction... I think they were called Fiction Fact. It wasn't Fiction Factory. It was something else, something Fiction. But I can't remember the name of the band either. But yeah, but but yeah. But fifty p, and we. I, I'm still proud that we went out and played. You know, two people. It was about expression. It was about our own performance in a sense, in a musical sense. We were wanted, we liked our music, we wanted other people to hear it, and it would be pointless to charge £5 because nobody would have turned up anyway. So, uh, but as I say, I'm I'm very proud that we were able to put on an evening for 50p, and I don't think, I I think other people ought to do the same these days. Uh, You know, when you when you see costs of £50 pounds to go and see famous people that isn't really doesn't really um, have the same ring to an evening for 50p I suppose also music was in a way influenced by the fact that we were playing live we weren't making records really although we would like to um and we felt that what our aim was that people would come and see our band maybe for the first time but by the time they had finished it the songs were interesting enough for them to enjoy them on first listening you know i if we go back to sort of Pink Floyd or something like that, then you people would go and see them, but they'd listened to the album a hundred times beforehand. They knew what to expect. We were in a different situation. People were coming to see us. As we said, the name didn't give it away. We wanted punchy, poppy, poppy enough songs that had choruses, that by the time you got to the end of that song people could be singing along and to some extent we we achieved that i feel we would listen to john peel that was the ultimate uh arbiter of good taste in terms of punk music so uh that was that that, that was uh, uh on access to national level um we knew you know our friends. There were also a particularly um, Glenn O'Halloran's band, who had who had been the fix. They were transistors, and then they were dancing counterparts. So we've always known Glenn and, and as part of, of the music scene. So we, we knew people there, and our drummer Lee. We started off with Lindy White uh, as a drummer. Um, and, but quickly, after a few gigs, we got Lee Scriven. Now, Lee had played with Glenn, Glenn's band, in The Fix, and I think in The Transistors as well, though I'm not sure whether at that point Grant had taken over. We started going to Peartree Bridge Youth Centre. I'm not sure why. <laughs> why what, what was the first bit that got us through the door? My very good friend Dave uh, was squatting, almost squatting a house in Tinker's Bridge. So that was very close. So maybe that's why we were around Peartree. Tree. Um, we also uh, the the Jevons family, a very influential Jevons family, were also living in Pear Tree Bridge at the time, uh, and. The Pear Tree Bridge Youth Centre really became a focus of the music of Milton Keynes. I suppose very, very clever, sensible youth workers who realised to some extent what we were interested in and helped facilitate what we needed, whether it was places to practise or a venue to play at Uh, and that in itself attracted other people to come to Tree. first of all maybe just as audience maybe just as youth club people but it then had that opportunity that those people could go on to play music there were people to talk to people to borrow equipment from bands, people changed bands and things like that, so it became it was a, a very um, fertile ground for, um, for for the music really I suppose there was another uh, another place was Derwent Drive, at least for us because we used to practice over there quite a lot though I don't think other people were, it wasn't like Pear Tree, as in there weren't a lot of bands using it for practice. It didn't become the centre, but it was. I think feel it was an important place for us. And when we were practicing there, we got to know a lot of the people from West Bletchley, and uh, you know they liked our music. It was it was that was that was a really good time, and uh, you know we picked up a lot of really loyal fans there um, from the from West Bletchley. Who will still see you in the street and reminisce about the the great times? There was a small record shop in Milton Keynes City Centre. Milton Keynes City Centre had only so sort of pretty much just opened, and I'm trying to think what the record store was called. I, do you remember criminal, what it was called? Criminal, criminal oh, Records. Yeah, Criminal Records. Criminal was, Records. Yeah. That was that was. They were, they were great because they would get all the fanzines and the singles and things like that. So that was excellent. Unfortunately, they, like most stores, they had their lifetime and uh, and didn't survive forever. Um, I suppose at the time, punk music then became, was becoming a little bit more mainstream and we had the Virgin Records in Milton Keynes, which would, covered a wide range of music. So punk was becoming available rather than being a niche market and music it was drifting to the mainstream really not that it was drifting to the mainstream the mainstream accepted it perhaps Well, <laughs> the fictitious had split up really because of inability to get a recording contract you know if we'd have got managed to get a, re- a recording deal i feel that we would have what well, we would have gone on Who knows? I feel that the the doll was, at the time, you know, if you look at what was going on in 1976-77, we were three million unemployed. So, in in a sense, punk arose because of people being unemployed, having, A, some time on their hands, but also being a little bit ostracised from society because they didn't have money because they didn't have a job so uh, if you look at the early starting of punk it was about going around to charity shops it was about utilizing granddad shirts and things like that it wasn't about buying your uh, clash t-shirt from the virgin Megastore. it was about adapting and utilizing what you could and surviving on very very little money and you know arguably that's where the creativity came you know that you don't throw away that pair of boots you know if you don't like them you just paint them a different color you know if you if you don't like your t-shirt well actually with a few slashes of of a razor or something like that you can actually make it different and you Also, it was, it got stares (laughs) from other people (laughs) because you were doing something that they didn't dare. My parents weren't adverse to us wearing our t shirts. Uh, We didn't have anything outrageously rude on them. You know, we wore leather jackets. We various times had had motorbikes, so that was quite acceptable. My parents were at least, uh, you know, happy that I was doing what. I liked, and as our band really got bigger, started playing larger venues, getting more people coming to see us. They realised that we were doing something really good, and uh, and, and really happy to support it. Um, not out there to influence it, but just to let us do what to let us do our thing. And uh, you know that that's a great. Confidence. I didn't have to rebel against my parents. I suppose I ought to add something about the art vandals, right. which were bands band <laughs> quite close to my heart. The fictitious had folded and people gone their separate ways. And at first I did a band called the Ludo Experts, which was um, interesting because it used... My friends, so I had Mark Page on drums, I had Mark Jevons on bass, and we got a guy called Graham D to play guitar. I, I sort of knew Graham, and uh, that was that was great. So, and we worked some some good stuff with uh, the Ludo experts, but they didn't. We didn't survive for very long. But Graham has gone on and had a, a very interesting career as well, I'm pleased to say, but then we formed, uh, I formed with Dave Bancroft, we formed the Art Vandals. It started off when we were at a festival, I think it was Hood Fair, and we didn't, there were some hippies playing guitar and drums and doing all the right things, and we took over the stage Dave got on the drums, started playing completely out of time, and all the others couldn't manage to, <laughs> to keep up with it, um, which allowed me to come in uh, and take over the vocals. So the Art Vandals at first were drums and vocals, and uh, we had a philosophy was really that music had been done and we were undoing it, uh, and so we were a very minimalist anti-music band Um, we had it grew and developed uh, in the sense that we had more people come to play with us with the idea was that if you could play a musical instrument then we certainly weren't going to let you be in our band (laughs) or you weren't going to play that instrument so uh, I used to play guitar because I can't Um, we had People who played um, Scaffold Pole, I seem to remember. Um, We had uh, started involving the kids from Spencer Street, where I was living at the time. So we had them playing things like saucepans, banging saucepans together um, with a mix of using tape machines and things like that. All completely anarchic. The concept of the art vandals was flexible, so it was able to be created in any situation, really. Um, My friend Steve Hastings, who was from Spencer Street, eventually went and lived in Germany and started the art vandals over there on a completely different tack, and they actually could play. I did the art vandals in uh, Aberystwyth, And we played uh, Huntsab Benefits and, uh, you know, with loads of different people with the same philosophy. And sometimes it went down really well. People really understood what was going on. We were reviewed in the Aberystwyth magazine under the headline, Your Mama Wouldn't Like It But Your Dada Would. And they thought we were uh, breaking breaking barriers, and I suppose in a sense we were. I remember that we were doing our going through our set, and the stage manager said one more song, and we had about three more songs to do. So we decided to play two songs at the same time, which uh, I feel is quite inspired, really. <laughs> so well. Somebody was singing, hey, hey, you, you, get off my cloud. I was singing, I headed through the grapevine. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we were ripping up the rule book as best we could.